There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of backcountry pursuits. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Brian here. Joe is with me tonight. And we've got a special guest with us tonight. And I'm going to let him do a better job of introducing himself and tell a little bit about his story and his upbringing in the outdoors. But we've got Aaron Haybison with us tonight. And uh, we're excited to have him, Aaron. Glad to have you on. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So we were talking a little bit before we turned on the recorder about some things. We're going to talk a little bit about BHA. Public Lands Day is coming up. Aaron's going to fill us in a little bit on that. And more or less, we're just going to talk some hunting stories and some maybe BHA specifics or surface uh, BHA issues and uh, go from there. So, yeah, Aaron, we'll start with you. And we always want kind of new guests to kind of share maybe just an outdoor bio. So early on at a young age or whenever you kind of came into fishing or hunting or the outdoors, um, you can kind of take it away with just maybe telling us a little bit about that. For sure. So I grew up in Mora, which is east central Minnesota, um, town of like 3,500 and pretty typical small town Minnesota. Basically started whitetail hunting when I was 12, Um, started fishing at, you know, as soon as I could walk basically. Uh, my mom is from the Iron Range, so up around the Hibbing area, um, we've got a cabin in Nashwalk, uh, kind of in the Iron Range, and so I've been fishing at the cabin, even if it's just with some garden dug worms off the end of the dock since we were, you know, could, like I said, could walk, and um, I guess what really got me into kind of the the hunting space, like I said, started at 12, and it was just basically like the thing you did in our family, like, hey, you're 11 and a half, whatever, and <laughs> now it's time to time to start getting excited about hunting. And you yep. take the gun safety thing, and uh, my birthday's on November 1st, so okay. I made the cutoff by like a week that it was like by the end of the class, you have to be 12 years old or 11 years old, whatever it is, in order to take the, the gun safety, and so I'd done that. Nice. And um, my we, we always hunted growing up out at my grandparents' place. And my dad's dad um, has is a big game hunter, and so he's been to Africa, I think three or four times. Been to New Zealand, been to Alaska a couple times. Um, you know, just kind of kind of doing the quote unquote like trophy hunting kind of lifestyle. Yep. Um, but since I was like three, I <clears throat> I knew I wanted to be like animals was my thing. Like I would open up the like dictionary of wildlife and be like, mom, did you know that, you know, this animal has, you know, this, but is this many times stronger An ant can lift 70 times its body weight. <laughs> and she'd be like, Hey, you're four. Like, that's not important. For Why do you know that? Right. That's <laughs> and great. so like, it was all about wildlife. Like at three years old, I'm like, I'm going to be a zookeeper with, you know, Steve Irwin and Jack Hanna. Like that was the plan. Wow. Like from super young, it was about animals and wildlife and so that coupled with kind of my, my grandpa's big game experiences, he'd come back from Africa and you'd read, you know, whatever safari journal or hunting catalog magazine, whatever. And it was just the fact that he got to be that close to some of these animals, that that's what made it super cool. And so every time, you know, a new story would come home or a new mount would come in, um, I want to learn as much as I could about that animal. Yeah. So it'd be like, oh, what's the difference between a wildebeest and a hartebeest? Yep. What is, you know, how tall is this bear? How, do, how big do they get on Kodiak Island? So it's all of these really like wildlife connection-y kind of questions really don't have anything to do with necessarily hunting them. For me, it was more about like the animal history behind it. Yep. So that's what kind of connected me to... Like I said, until I was ready to graduate high school, knew that it was like zookeeper. That's the plan. And went and job shadowed at a zoo one day and went, wow, zookeepers don't make a whole lot of money. I should probably <laughs> expand my horizons a little bit. Like what else is out there? 
So I went to college at Iowa State uh, for an animal ecology degree with an emphasis in wildlife with basically that idea of, like, I want to be outside as much as I can, whatever capacity that's in. Yep. Um, so graduated there and kind of bounced back and forth between Minnesota and Iowa, um, working for uh, the DNR, working for the USDA, um, did some disease research stuff with chronic wasting disease while I was in college, and then was a, um, an animal caretaker down at the USDA um, and recently actually started here back up in Minnesota. Um, got engaged, got married, and recently started at the Red Wing Shoe Company. And I'm a uh, hunting boot specialist for the Irish Setter brand. Cool. So that's, that's awesome. kind of my connection to like, okay, well, how could I make that a thing that I'm doing professionally, hopefully to get, you know, my, my kind of foot in the door yep. again as far as the conservation angle. So cool. Um, cool. I guess that's where I'm at professionally. And got involved with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers in 2016 Okay. Um, after, after an antelope hunt. Um, had been antelope hunting a couple of times. Started out with a, with a doe fawn hunt with my grandpa and my brother and my dad. And started out, you know, we did, did some of these hunts. Saved up the, the bucks and went out and like, okay, we're going to shoot for males this year. And like everybody's fine out there in Wyoming, and this is five, six years ago. Like if you are pretty new out there and you just say you want to hunt does, fawns, like people are like shoot all the damn goats. Like yeah. come on out, no problem, yeah. no questions asked. Go really? for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But right. uh, as soon as you like <laughs> are a couple of dudes going out trying to hunt bucks, like oh, okay, now we'll cut you a deal. We'll let you trespass for five hundred bucks, and yeah. you, know, you can maybe take a take a buck. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, well, man, this is terrible access, and you're pulling it up on the maps, and or worse yet, not pulling it up on maps because you know here in Minnesota we have great posting laws. Yeah. To where you know it's like every couple hundred feet that yeah, it has to be posted. Sure. So coming from the Midwest and going out west and expecting a sign and not seeing one, you're like, hell yeah, this is open. Yeah. And you don't orange, see it. Orange fence post. <laughs> and you learn real <laughs> quick that if you're trying to uh, hunt what you think is like open public ground and rancher comes up really unhappy really fast, yep. that he saw you before you saw him, that's for sure. Yeah. So uh, definitely once we said, you know, we definitely have to play this public land game, got on X, invested the time into doing some research on what properties were where. Um, yeah, it's super intimidating to go and have to door knock yeah. and try and talk to some of these folks. Um, so let's just skip that angle because you can waste half your hunt trying yeah. to, to get to know people well enough for them to trust you to hunt their land. Forget it. Let's just go public. Yeah. So we did yeah. the public thing, and I came back, and I'm like, damn, we should – teach people about this this is a problem that i can be on public land and i can see public land 100 yards away but i'm not allowed to get there yeah and you pull it up on a map and you can see that nobody can get there because it's private land literally checkerboarding a piece of property and no one can get to it it's just like how was that fair yeah. Yeah. and so i came back to minnesota and i pretty much had told myself like i'm i'm done hunting wyoming because this sucks and then I found out that there was a group that was advocating to to get rid of something like this. I'm like, wait, they're having my idea before I did. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. So that's when I got involved with BHA. Um, and that's where we. I I know. I don't know if you guys knew each other before that, but I know that's where I met you. Yeah, no, BHA. that's where I met Aaron as well. Yeah, both in BHA. It's kind of cool how BHA brings together people of such like minds when it comes to that stuff. Because everybody I've met from BHA is pretty you know, pretty baseline, like backcountry hunting focused. I know here in the Midwest, you know, people, that's kind of their goal is to get out West, but it's cool to meet people like that when in a group, sometimes you come and you're like, I don't know who's going to be involved in this. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to meet and be able to network with people that have similar interests. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's one, like the pint nights are, Something like when somebody has a question for me and reaches out on Facebook or wherever, they say, well, you know, we can also talk about it at some pint night one night or whatever, you know, and you know that's the kind of conversations you're going to have when you're at the pint nights, which to me is a blast. It's getting together and sharing stories and ideas and 
areas and asking people if they've hunted this, this or that. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's one, one area you can go to, or one event you can go to in a state like Minnesota, where you know, those conversations are going to be going on the entire time. Yep. Yep. It's really fun. Well, and like growing up in Minnesota, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like my mindset on public land was like, well, that's where the crazies go or that's where (laughs) the dudes are going to go and you know, push through it and you hear these horror stories of like, well, I pulled up some binoculars and there was a guy looking at me through his scope yeah. and yeah. it's like, public land is a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you know, start Completely. going to some of these events and realizing like there's normal people out there using them too, yep. who are not going to be those, you know, outliers. Yep. And you start talking to somebody you don't know before a pine night and you're like, wait, you listen to that podcast too? Or you think this way too? Great, cool. We're on the same page. Like yep. it just skips a whole barrier that you think that you know you're walking on eggshells around yep. people as as you get into a kind of a hunting camp with people that maybe you don't know, and it just takes all of those barriers away like immediately, and you're like, all right, cool. We're on the same page. Yeah, right yep. away. Yeah, it's super cool. It's nice because, like you say, growing up in Minnesota, I and Joe and I have talked about this before. We you grow up not really realizing the importance of public land sometimes. And I think in a Midwestern state more, because like you said, that's exactly our thoughts is like, well, we don't want to go to some of these public places. We want to try to find private access because the public places are the one places that are always overran. There's always who knows who's going to be there or what kind of rifle discipline they have, or, you know, you're always worried about that. And then you kind of have to, you kind of have to, retract from that a bit when you realize how important public land truly is and how much we have the opportunity to, to affect how it how it is it's operated within our state and you know it totally it completely changed my mind because for for me some of the only really really great public land areas or so I thought were during waterfowl season way up north where I could hike way in and get away from people and find a secluded lake or something um, but then moving down here where I'm, where before when I lived in Aiken up on the iron range where you said like your mom's from Hibbing, I think you said, so Aiken, we're a little bit South of there for sure, but still, you know, the Cuyuna range Yep. and, uh, up there it was like, we would view places, public land places down and deer around the Metro is like, man, don't want to go there. It's probably going to be like, you're going to get shot, you know? <laughs> and that was your mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that yeah. was your mindset. And then you kind of come to find that's not no. the case at all. Yeah. I got a, I got a quick lesson in that when I bought my lot and I'm bought up to a, a big chunk of public land in the Metro, probably the most hunted piece of land in the Metro. For sure. And I, my first year there, I sat in my deer stand for... I sat my deer stand, I think, 13 times. I saw a person one time. It was two guys walking together. They saw me. They turned around and walked the other way. 13 times in the metro, weekends. I mean, there was weekdays in there, too, but it was mostly weekends. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's probably the most hunted piece of property in the state of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. And so it's sure. not what people think it is. And I've got buddies now that um, when my dad sold that land to the state to make it public, they were upset because some of my dad's buddies were upset saying, well, now we have no place to hunt and this and that. And they were going on and on about it. And I said, dude, you like can it's still just as hunt open it. as it was yeah. before. <laughs> you can still yeah. hunt it. And, yep. and these guys are guys that don't work normal hours. They could hunt it during the week easily. And, they wouldn't be bothered at all. If you drive through the South Road over here during the week, during bow hunting season, you will find one to two trucks. Yeah. And that's about, if you follow that road and maybe go 100 feet wide on each side, that's probably 40 acres. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot bigger than that even. Oh, yeah. So you're talking over 4,000 acres and you got two trucks. Yeah. 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 So it's pretty it's, awesome. Yeah. It's, I, well, and it's such a contradiction when you get to a you know, trailhead or parking lot outside of a, a game reserve or something like that. And you're like, man, there's, you know, four trucks here, something like that. And you're like, oh, but wait, it's 2,000 acres. Who cares? You yeah. know, it's fine. Like, right. that's still 500 acres potentially. If we break yeah. it down, that's just mine. Right. And right. part of you is, like, upset that there's other people out there. But then, you know, if you kind of take a step back, like, that means people are hunting. Yeah. Which is, like, the ultimate goal, right? Like, yep. to get people out 
doing stuff, using this stuff. Because if they're not, then that voice of of the outdoorsman is going to go away. So yeah. and you I'll have be to the remember, it's a good thing. This. I'll be the naysayer. <laughs> Unless you're duck hunting. If you're duck hunting, you pull up, there's four trucks there. You go, son of a bitch. <laughs> Turn around right. and drive away. Because, <laughs> you know, true. that lake's got two spots or three spots on it. That's it. You got to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it it really is super cool. And, and I didn't know until I joined BHA and started – hearing about public land, I didn't know, you know, precisely how much public land we have access to as Americans. And it's something that, you know, Lan Tani always talks about, you know, he, he's kind of, he's the one who, who started BHA and he talks about, it's one of the most American things is that we have public land and we are, we kind of are the envy of the world when it comes to not only our public land, but our process of conservation yeah. here. I mean, it, you th- when you start hearing about other places, like you mentioned, I think your dad was it your dad or your grandpa going to Africa? My grandpa's been to Africa. Yeah, so going to places like that, you know, it's there. It actually is few and far between the legitimate places that you can actually go and experience a true hunt anymore. Yeah, and you look at places like New Zealand, which was mentioned too, and you have no more of the actual like natural born right. It's animals. all these non natives and yeah. these semi you know, canned hunts, you know, for lack of a better term, that there's something artificial to it. Yep. That that just, and and those styles of hunting, and I'm a big proponent for hunting internationally as well, because those those models, though different than the U.S., have their place in that type of conservation, in that type of setting, because of where they're currently at in today's political climate. But the fact that we still have it and have those options to be as natural and as wild and as un uncatered to the option does to have that much do it yourself it's yeah. just it's awesome yeah it's super cool it's i can say being a hunter and an outdoorsman there there wouldn't be any other place i'd want to live Mm-mm. you know just the access to the variety of species and the access to land and you know it just it really makes you realize how fortunate we are and how much of a responsibility we have then to take care of what we have and to advocate to continue in that. And we can't forget about our friendly neighbors to the north, though. Canada, just North America in general. Yeah, Because Canada's sure. yep. got really good opportunity as well. And, yep. Um, when it comes to birds especially. Yeah. <laughs> you can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, birds don't know borders. <laughs> I, feel, I feel a little bit upset, though, because I feel like when I hear some of their limits... I'm oh, like, yeah. well, yeah, that's why we can't shoot as many. <laughs> yeah, but then you get the southern duck hunters, and recently I've been seeing a lot of posts of, is everybody heating their ponds in the north? Because none of the ducks have made it down here yet. It's like, shut up, you jack off. <laughs> Come on. None of them have made it down here. We shot them all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's hilarious. No, it's one of those things, though, that you you, you kind of look at and you just say, man, you wonder if we don't, if we don't if we don't take care of it, you know, I was talking to the guy that I go to Alaska with mm-hmm. and uh just how much he's seen hunting change in his lifetime and the views on it and the policies surrounding it and all that. And we've had some in depth in depth conversations and and uh he goes, Man, I wouldn't be surprised uh if if things don't really kind of turn around and really move forward in the hunting community and and we start getting on each other's teams more and yeah. not dividing for sure each other he goes i wouldn't be surprised brian if one day you write a book titled when hunting used to exist yeah you know and he's like in your lifetime he's yeah. like i wouldn't doubt it if 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 we don't start banding together strongly and and advocating for the positive aspects there you can't get around the fact that we're going and killing stuff right that's what's happening and that's almost where and i understand the term harvest but i almost have stopped using it because i'm like i'm not hard i didn't plan it yeah dude totally it's something that i'm going and taking their life i'm killing them and uh and it actually was dave who the one i said it was that bear that's hanging on the wall i told i harvested a bear in montana he's like what'd you do to it I was like, I killed it. And he's like, yeah, you killed it, you know? And, and it kind of made me think that's the reality. Yeah. But the also the reality is what we do with it yep. and the reasons we're doing it, the reasons behind doing it. We really have to come together, get on each other's teams and say, 
we're all in this together and let's let's make it a positive thing. So when people look at it, they're like, that's either something that I could identify with or get involved in. See, and I th- I feel like I'm the negative guy tonight cuz I'm I'm reading some books now from the 30s <clears throat> and <laughs> and they're talking about that exact thing. And they're talking about how, you know, the hunters that go out and just shoot to kill and don't take their meat home and don't do this and don't do that are viewed poorly in the community and stuff like that. So this has been going on for long you know, time, probably over a hundred years that the, the attitude has been that way and it still hasn't completely changed yet, which is kind of a bad way of thinking like or looking forward it doesn't give you a positive outlook but i do think there's more people now advocating for the positive outlook of it than there was back then and hopefully they are influencing yeah younger generations yeah and i feel like i feel like you know a lot of people are Mm -hmm. but it's it's still a scary thought and you know it's just one of those things that there's always going to be that bubba in a pickup truck that's gonna yeah yeah and 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 i deal with it you know probably on a weekly basis i probably talk to somebody with that attitude and it's like god what are you doing yeah you're not doing any good for anybody it's not it yeah Yeah. but But at the same time we have to and the more i meet people through different areas and regions of the country the the differences that we have within the hunting community and the regional acceptability of certain things you know here in minnesota we aren't allowed to bait. Other states, they have baiting and that's totally legal. Or yeah. running dogs to to chase blood trails, something like that. Right. Completely acceptable. They've always done that and they're always going to do that. Yeah. And we have to not frown down on those type of tactics because that's how they hunt. Yeah. You know, yep. that's it's still hunting. You know, yep. that's how they want to do it. Maybe that's not for me. Um, you know, maybe someone else that I'm talking to doesn't want to go hunt Africa, but... That's still their their world, and if they want to go on a guided hunt versus a DIY, then you know teach their own, and it's yeah. all trying to and hopefully getting everybody to promote a positive message about hunting. Yeah, yep. yeah, I yeah. Because it's mm. funny, it's funny that we even have to have a conversation that's based on the premise that people didn't use people haven't always taken the meat. You know, it's, oh, yeah. almost, it's a super like it's, first world problem to have. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like we're trying to convince people that you know sometimes I I hate this new thing where people are coming along and it's almost like they're saying you know yeah but we take the meat as if people hadn't been taking yeah. the meat forever. Yeah, you know that people have always been doing that, and it's it's we I feel like there's this movement to kind of come in and to all, almost sissify hunting to a level where. It it's almost borderline not becoming hunting anymore. We're getting, you know, we're getting dark and dirty tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because with, with that, it is a late night. It's a late Friday night. We're <laughs> we're pushing ten seventeen right now. I'm on my second beer, so we're getting real honest. But I'm starting to struggle with, and I was all for it when it first started, and I'll come right out and say that. But I'm starting to struggle with the hipster hunter. Um, the, the meat movement, the, you know, harvest your own food movement kind of thing that like, it's, it's hip to have wild game now. It's a new thing it, that the didn't prob- exist before. The problem I'm having with it is it's taking away from the traditions of hunting where they're, they're going back in time and looking at the way people did stuff in the past. They're the ones that are saying like, yeah, we can't bait here. Nobody should be able to bait. That's not, you know, fair chase. It's it, you're getting a lot of that kind of attitude now and it's starting to really bug me and didn't before. And, and I was all for it, you know, but I agree, like there's places that did things a certain way and they have for hundreds of years or a hundred years here in America that why change it? the model's working, the people are happy, the animals aren't getting killed off completely. The guys that run run them with dogs say like down I think Mississippi's one of the yeah. areas you can run them with dogs. States oftentimes. So so you go down to Mississippi and you talk to guys from down in that area, how do you hunt deer? Well I run them with dogs. Have you ever tried not running them with dogs? Yeah, we've we've tried. We haven't seen a deer when we do it. There's plenty of deer down there. They're just hunkered down and 
happy. Mm-hmm. Why move? Yeah. And they're not accessible or whatever, you know. And it's not. Well, it's hurting. like bugling for elk in areas that there's wolves. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It's not effective. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm researching right now because I'm <laughs> looking to go that, to Joe. a very wolfy area this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, uh, I just, you know, that kind of attitude is starting to really, really bug me because they're they're just publicly shaming all these people that are doing things that they've been doing for generations. Yeah. And, and it's not the conservation model still working. The limits are going up. You know, there's more animals than there ever were in some of these areas. And these people are still going after them. And it's just, it's, it's a fad. It's going to go away. Mm -hmm. The hipster hunter is going to go away. It's great for bring, getting more hunters out there, selling more licenses, selling more tags, selling more stamps. It's great for that. But is it going to be, is it, is it a good long game? Right. I don't think it is. Yeah, I think the long game is bringing in people that are going to follow and look at all the trends and kind of read up on all the trends and find their own way. But I, you know, I could be dead wrong about that. But I just don't think that. Again, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but <laughs> the urban hunter that's going to pull in in a Prius and a flannel shirt and rolled up jeans with you know his brand new work boots right. is not going to be the guy that's going to be doing it for. 50 60 it's years like you want to hope so yeah i mean yeah you want to be positive be and realistic about it yeah you want to be positive but i just i have a feeling that it's just a fad and it really it makes me nervous that there was a lot of there was a lot of time and money invested in marketing and stuff like that from all these companies to pull those people in on the front end of it now it's starting to back off um but it makes me worried that you know maybe we could have put our resources in a different area and well, hopefully we can like Get them. This is gonna be a really bad comparison, but like the idea of like how big tobacco like wants to get you before you're 18. It's yeah. like, all right, so we're getting people in, and their connection is like, yeah. let's do the natural and organic and sustainable food movement thing. Yeah, and now you're in, but okay, why? Let's get them to stay. Yeah, like, how do we get them to stay beyond just that it being that food movement? Because it's got to be more than a, just a food. Movement yeah, if you're looking at just a food movement, you. a good comparison, and part of the reason why I have such a negative attitude about it is look at diets diet trends go in and they go out as quick as they came in and they go away completely again and that's looking at the food movement you're thinking about natural organic whatever it is which the organic thing hasn't gone away right but like look at like low carb stuff like that those diet trends come and go and that's part of my fear is that it's going to be one of those things that come and go and uh project upland is a pretty cool they've got a podcast they've got a magazine now they they really push for the i think they call it like the three r's whatever it is like recruit recruitment retention reactivation yes and they talk and they talk about it a little bit in there and they say that you know the best the best target market is young adults not like 18 but like borderline midlife and they say those are the guys that once you get them in and you follow up with it and keep doing it then eventually they're gonna have kids and they're gonna raise their kids that way and stuff like that i had one of those experiences last year i've got this he's been my best friend since we were five years old played hockey together all the way through high school and he shot his first deer out on my grandparents property when we were like 15 and he that was basically the only deer he shot shot one he said okay cool i've hunted and that was it yeah and he stepped away from hunting we went to college he went to the u of m Stayed living in Uptown, like he's total urbanite. And last year, drive a Prius, we, wear uh, flannel, and rolled up jeans. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. okay if that's, exactly. if that's your jam. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. no, it's okay. He's skinny jeans and hipster beard all the way for sure. Uh, craft beers, but he, many uh, hipsters would be jealous of Joe's beard. So true. He. Uh, we we were sitting around maybe a year ago about, about this time, and he's like, Aaron, you know. I think I could do a turkey. I think I can hunt turkeys. And I had this like moment of like light came on and I was like, this is it. This is that reactivation yep. moment in those three yep. R's. Like, let's make that happen. Yeah. So he got to come out with me and my father-in-law, my brother-in-law and that whole side of my new family and uh, harvested his first turkey, harvested, killed, whatever you want to say it. I got his first turkey last year. And it's like, that's how you get a guy back into it. He still has his lifestyle, yep. but it took him reaching out to me to say, you know, I think I could do this again. 
but I don't know how. Yeah. I yeah. don't have a connection besides my one friend from high school that still does this because a lot of people are urbanizing. Yeah. They yeah. move into the city and they don't have that connection anymore. That exact story is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I started that series on the Mrs. and Misadventures. And the first story I'm writing is about a friend of mine and I duck hunting. And um, I met him in high school. He never hunted. He was a big time fisherman, just completely obsessed with fishing. Still is. Um, but I met him in high school and eventually got him out duck hunting. And he really enjoyed duck hunting. So we he ended up becoming like my duck hunting partner. Like the every duck hunter has like like it was like you and Jeff, you know, everybody's yep. got a main guy that, that that's their go to. Yeah. They they buy stuff in pairs. Yep. They, you know, split <laughs> boats. They split prices on this. If one guy gets a dog, the other guy gets I'm this. I'm pretty sure my brother in law is turning into that guy. Like it would be harder for me to have a divorce from him. I think at this point we'd have more stuff that would <laughs> yeah. have to get split up in the divorce. Little, I wife. got my little brother into it, and him and his <laughs> him and his buddy have a split on. A, I think they've got like a nine thousand dollar boat. Yeah, like, two well, years I would get the blind, <laughs> but you would get the whatever TP tent, yeah. and like, yeah, we just yeah. have to split everything yeah. up that way. So I, I have a buddy like that, and. You know, eventually he got, you know, a girlfriend and whatever and kind of stopped duck hunting. And I actually, since I started writing the stuff and I've been talking to him through text messages on some of the stories and just getting some details out of him, I'm like, I should invite him out next year. <clears throat> I got to invite him out because he has not hunted since he hunted with me. And that was the last time he hunted with me. It was probably nine years ago. And I'm like, I next year I got to invite him out. He used to come up with me every year for opener. We'd hunt the whole season. I mean, we hunted seasons where we'd hunt together 25 days. Wow. And, you know, it's so it's, it, I just, I thought about it. I'm like, he's still got a shotgun. You know, that's all you need. Yeah. You come yeah. out. You got your waders, you got your shotgun, you're good to go. Yep. Come on out next year. And I thought about that because I want to get that, that reactivation, I think would be, I mean, recruitment's huge and it's, and it's awesome and it's super fun to do, but doing the, doing the reactivation, I feel like would be even easier. Yeah. Cause they've yeah. already got the stuff. Right. Right. They already have. And some they have that, that attitude already of like, oh yeah, this is fun. Yeah. It's not like, uh, let's see how this goes. Yeah. And then I'll yeah. make a decision. They know it's fun. Yeah. Well, and everybody's so. a little bit more financially stable. Yep. So they're able to buy their own <laughs> right. tags, buy their own licenses, fill their own car with yeah. gas to meet at the you know hunting spot. So whatever. you're saying since I had the boat back then that he'll buy a new the, boat. Hey, that <laughs> <laughs> seems fair to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting we're talking about this because these are some of the thoughts I've been having lately. But I, you know, and one of the things... I, th I think it's how we all are as humans. We all have our beliefs and our opinions. And if we're not careful, we'll try to project those things onto the activities we're involved in as if that's the way it should be. Yeah. You know, and we try to do that. And all too often, I think we just need to just take a step back from that and say, man, if what somebody's doing, they're doing in a legitimate way and it lines up with conservation, then, heck, go do it the way you want to do it. But we also have to be on the other side of that, drawing some lines and saying, hey, you know, things like the taking the meat from the animal, that's not a new thing. No. This is something that's been around forever. Yeah. You know, or eating, you know, quote, eating organic, unquote. Well... Any hunter a hundred years ago who took the meat from their animal were quote eating organic, yeah. you know. I had, and and I, I had custom stickers made twelve years ago, a windshield sticker and barrel stickers that said "Eat organic, go hunting." Mm -hmm. And yeah. at that time, I was I like six months after I did it, I was working in some lady's house who ran like a health blog about eating organic, and I was at her house working. And I told her about these stickers. I'm like, yeah, I eat organic. I go hunting, you know. And she's looking at me like I'm some just hillbilly. And she ended up interviewing me and writing an article on her website about how the benefits of hunting and eating wild game. Yeah. And this was, you know, before the big movement of eating wild game and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's been going on for years. Yeah. It's been going on for centuries. Yeah. And, you know, it's... I don't know. That's that's. I guess that's part of the part of my 
gripe with it. Yeah. You know, and it, there's ups and downs on both sides because the upside is, well, let's get the eating organic and eating what you kill message out there as much as we possibly can. Yeah. You know, and you know, so there's that side of it, but also let's balance that out with it's not anything new. No. You know, and and that that's the other thing too. It's funny we might have to name this spicy topics with a- with Aaron Haybison. <laughs> the <laughs> great debate. The great. Yeah, we're getting into some spicy <laughs> topics here, but uh, which is fine. You know, we we have to have. I think any tradition or any group of people who won't sit down and have the tough conversations is a is a tradition or group of people that starts to fade away. Yep. And if we don't, if we don't sit down. And have the sometimes the tough dis- discussions and talk through these things. Not only is it important that we do share our opinion, but that we kind of keep number one our own opinion in check. Yeah. Uh, ask myself: Is this something that really? I would say five years ago, I would have had a conversation with somebody who hunted lions with dogs and been like, "Man, I'm just not into that." Now I want to do it so bad. Yeah, so bad. Number one, because I heard they're super good to eat. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh well, that's different. I didn't know that. And then, you know, it just five years ago I was like, that seems kind of intense and and kind of almost like, well, what if you didn't hunt them with dogs? Would you ever get one? You know, and you wouldn't probably. Yeah. So you that's the way you have to do it. And and when we were talking about like baiting in some states, I started bow hunting in a state in Kentucky where you can Literally dump out a 50 bag, 50 pound bag of corn, 20 yards from your stand, get up in your stand and hunt it. Deer come in and you can shoot them while they're eating it. And And it, the the difference there is they have so many deer that people do that all year. Bow hunters, season starts middle of September, goes to middle of January and people can do that all year and buy bonus doe tag after bonus doe tag and fill their freezers and feed their families and friends. And there's still way too many. Yeah. So it's just like, Hey, obviously we don't have that problem in Minnesota or especially as you move North, Yeah. we don't have that problem here. And, and so we have to do it a different way, but as long as the conservation on it lines up and we're abiding by those laws, you know, it, we've got to open our minds a little bit to some of that stuff. And part of that too, I think is just exposure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like, like to me, I've got, I've got buddies that are houndsmen here in Minnesota and a houndsman in Minnesota means you're running raccoons. Yeah. Like that's all you can do. Unless you go over to Wisconsin, you can run bears and stuff like that. And until I went out with those guys and saw like the work that goes into it and how much like these guys don't sleep. Gain respect. Like, yeah, yeah. They do not sleep from basically end of October until January. And then every night in the winter time that gets above twenty degrees, they're not they're sleeping. Going out. And I I've gone out with them multiple times and it is a riot. It's a it's a blast. It's awesome to watch those dogs work. It's awesome to watch the houndsmen work with their dogs. And I, like, when I first went out, I was kind of like, oh, you know, this is kind of whatever. But you end up hiking miles and miles in the dark. It's not easy. Yeah, and yeah. You're doing it, right. and especially when you go out. I've gone out, like, this time of year before, and it's, you know, 20-something degrees, 90% humidity, and you're out in the middle of the night chasing hounds for seven miles on public property it is not easy and it's it's super fun it's it's a really cool thing to do and these houndsmen if you go out and spend time with them half the coons they tree they just leave them they just let them be they just like to tree them and yep. Yep, tree they, another one they're doing it they they're doing it with the hunt part of it it's, mm. it's just like guys with bird dogs that go to game farms and stuff like that they're sure. just doing it for the dogs the dogs love it it's a blast and yeah. you know it's it's what they live and die for so in yep. the summertime they're in wisconsin doing the training season for bear and then you know all fall they're out here and if they have the opportunity states like wyoming non-residents can go chase lions yeah too. yeah and so it's it, i feel like it's just one of those things that people get exposed to it they get exposed to the right people of course there's always a bad egg but yeah, that's get, in anything yep you, you get know. exposed to the right people and it's you see a completely different side of it yeah, almost every yeah. Time. Well, i'm glad we're having these conversations because again you know we we have to i think sometimes we get into this mode and i think it's just human pride 
we like to take ourselves way too serious, yeah. seriously. And, you know, I, I think the only things we should take seriously are the things that really matter, the core issues of what really matters. And then everything else, let's just, let's just be with each other in them, you know, yep. be for each other. And, and I mean, I love hearing about, cause that Aaron, that was last Turkey season, right? To Turkey season, 2018 spring yeah, yep. that you took your buddy and hearing something like that. It's like, man, that makes an impact on somebody. And when they can go out and I've always thought that Turkey hunting might be one of the best other than maybe waterfowl, one of the best hunts to take somebody out on that maybe has never hunted before or is reintroduced. Oh, it's crazy fun. It's active. Yeah. It's action-packed. Yep. Like you're not going to have somebody who gets in their first experience to hunting bored because they're just sitting in a tree for 13 hours and like that's all they ever do is just maybe hear a squirrel. Right. But like, <laughs> and we've all been there. Right. But like, they there's there's things happening and they can walk away going, I hunted. I was part of this ecosystem rather than just being like, well, I went for a walk in the woods. Right. And right. I feel like that's a big part of back to like kind of seeing other perspectives. And I've been to a lot of pint nights and sat around a lot of campfires with a lot of different people coming from these different aspects of hunting. And to sit there and hear a houndsman talk about what they do with someone who's never done it and they'd be like, Really? That's that's what lion hunting is? Yeah. Or that's what lion tastes like? Yeah. Or you can eat a black bear? Yeah. I mean there's people that just don't know those yeah. things, especially coming from Minnesota and, and you're learning anything about out west. Um that and and the same thing goes for waterfowl or upland or whatever you know western guys don't have a clue about what it takes the mental game that it takes to sit in a whitetail tree for an entire day oh man yeah. hardest I mean, thing hardest things i've ever done have been all day sits during that time when you when you know deer are definitely chasing in your area and sitting there from sun up to sundown from dark to dark sits are ruthless I mean, I've done a, I've done quite a few of them, and they're ruthless. I mean, you, the, the I'm horrible at them. Oh, oh man. So I can't do it. They are ruthless. I, I, I'll honestly say that that might be. It's mentally by far the hardest thing I've ever done hunting. I'd rather, I'd rather haul a moose somewhere and it be physical than mental just exhaustion well, of that's, sitting there. For me, it's morning sits to evening sits. I'll take evening sits all day long because it gets better the longer yeah, you sit. Right. Mm-hmm. You sit in the morning after like an hour of sunlight, you're like, all right, it's over. I'm out of here. <laughs> you start making all these excuses, <laughs> yeah. right? Yep. At least with an evening sit, you know there's an end game. Yeah, yeah there's a, there, the end is in sight. You know, you can watch that sun <laughs> yeah. and you're like, there she goes. But um, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit. We've got Public Lands Day coming up uh, February 7th, right? And uh Aaron, why don't you share a little bit your position in BHA uh, in the Minnesota chapter? So, um, obviously, we're all three of us are a part of the Minnesota chapter here and, and BHA nationally and support that organization. But why don't you share a little bit about your position and role and then just a little bit about Public Lands Day. We're going to release, if you're listening to this podcast, our plan is to put this out on the Monday before Public Lands Day being on the 7th and we're going to release this podcast on the 4th yep. so hopefully you have a couple days to to hear about it and and make some plans to get there but you want to share a little bit about that with us Aaron sure so the Minnesota chapter uh started in 2010 and I like to tell people that when I joined the chapter in July of 2016 I was number 107 I believe to join the state chapter um, so over whatever, you know, six years, five and a half years, we had grown up to just over a hundred members. Yeah. Um, for those of you that are involved with BHA, maybe you know that, uh, our president and CEO, Lantani, uh, came from Missoula to speak last year, was invited to speak by the DNR at the, uh, DNR round table in January. And right before that event, we broke 400 members. So that was as of January 2018, we were at 400 members. Um, wow, that's and awesome. And so, yeah, you know, not not too bad. And I'm happy to say that by, um, I think it was probably December of 2018, we had broken 1,100 members. Wow. So in, uh, in that year, almost tripled our membership. 
from 400 up to up to just a little bit over 1100 so yeah we did we did leaps and bounds last that's year that's incredible um yeah a lot cool. of a lot of outstate events yeah connecting with folks outside of the metro area um be that in Pipestone, the Duluths, the Rochester, yep. uh, you know, up into the the kind of Roseau areas, and hopefully getting getting folks involved and feeling like that's one part about BHA that's different than maybe some of the other conservation organizations is with with BHA we have one Minnesota chapter, yeah. so if you sign up, you're part of the Minnesota chapter, and there's a board of ten of us. Um, I'm the I'm the chairman of that Minnesota chapter. And if you send an email to Minnesota at backcountryhunters.org, like I'm going to get that email. So it's coming to us and I'm going to be the one to reach back out to you. Cool. As opposed to you trying to reach out to Pheasants Forever or not to badmouth Pheasants Forever or Minnesota Deer Hunters Association or any other conservation organizations. But some of those chapter-based ones get really involved with their own little chapter and the things that are happening locally, which is they do an amazing job at, but they... They aren't able to connect as statewide as sure. BHA, and sure. with the size of our membership currently, we're we're able to be fluid, we're able to be mobile, and connect with people all around the state, and hopefully make them feel involved. So that way, when we do have some poor legislation that comes through, or a public lands rally at the Capitol, they'll have you know hopefully met one of us that are on the board at a pint night yeah. in Brainerd or Montevideo, or Red Wing, yep. and they say, damn it, you know what, I met him, and those guys are good dudes yeah. um, and ladies. Let's uh, let's go. Let's schedule a day, and yeah, we could take a day off. Let's let's get down to the Capitol and be part of this thing. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we're doing with Public Lands Day. We did it last year. Um, I think had around two to 300 people show up um, from different conservation organizations. It was hosted by BHA. But Sportsmen for the Boundary Waters, uh, Pheasants Forever, Minnesota Deer Hunters, Delta Waterfowl, a few other organizations got involved. And uh, this year, we've got a lot more organizations getting involved, a couple of corporate sponsors coming in, um, and hopefully bringing in some of those uh, non-consumptive groups as well, and reaching out to some of the biking community or the paddling community. Um, and, and getting, you know, the Audubon Society came on this year as cool. a cool as a sponsor so they're they're hopefully bringing in some a different crowd i mean that's the bird watching crowd yeah and yeah. they're using public land just as much as any of us mm-hmm. so getting getting some of those groups and again just kind of getting everybody on the same team on that public lands team uh, yep. we're all doing the same thing we're all going out there and enjoying it whether it's by you just uh you know using binoculars or camping or paddling or picking blueberries or taking a fish or a deer off the landscape sure that's awesome. What, one push that I've talked about with a lot of people about, and don't worry, I'm going to be positive on this one. <laughs> no more spice. <laughs> no. Um, one push that I've talked about a lot of times ever since I got involved with BHA was the trail running community because those guys, I mean, most races, like the Western races especially, are on BLM, National Forest, National Parks. You know, it's it's kind of all over. And here in Minnesota, like the SHT, it's the Superior 100s ran on 100 miles of the SHT. Wild Duluth has ran on the SHT. Uh, Eugene Corn. My brother Kurnow. tried. Tried. I emphasize tried to hike it last year. <laughs> oh, through hike? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't one. make it. They. Yeah. They said he tried to make it. Um, my brother lives in Hawaii, hmm. so it's been a while since he had to deal with like real world conditions. Yeah. And a tough day for him is you know going to the grocery store and has to wear his flannel yeah. line jeans. So <laughs> yeah, some people say hurt is comparable to wild or superior 100. Well, it's but, crazy though. They get so much rain yep. that, uh, you know, he's got totally different conditions that he's used to, yep. but, uh, they did a little bit of hiking on the trail. So that's definitely something he's it's trying to It's a gnarly trail and it's awesome. I mean, Brian and I have even gone up there a couple of times and done some hiking and stuff like that around and it's an awesome trail, but yeah, the trail runners, they use all that stuff. I mean, you got like, uh. What is it? Uh, like all the county parks get used, like Elm Creek, Crow, um, 
Lebanon, all that stuff gets used a lot, but then you've got state parks and stuff like that. And like Chippewa and all these races that are put on in Wisconsin that are on the Kettle Moraine trail and stuff like that. That's, it's all public land use. And, and I've actually talked to some of the race directors about getting involved and they've reached out to BHA about getting involved in different issues as well. And it's something that I think that I've pushed on the trail running community a lot, and some people have gotten involved. In fact, one reached out to me yesterday to see if I was going to Public Lands Day because he's going to come out to it. And he used to hunt. He fishes. He doesn't hunt anymore, but he, you know, he still wants to be involved in it. And I think he even is a lifetime member already. Nice. But yeah, there's there's some of that group that I think we can pull over, and there's some of them that I I met through running, and then later found out were BHA. Members That's the thing. As well. There's so much crossover that you don't even realize yeah. with BHA because there's so much interconnectedness. Yeah. Public lands is so universal that yeah. it's like you could be just a duck hunter, or you could be just a deer hunter, yeah. or you could be just a trail runner. But you all have the BHA yeah. like thread in common. Yeah, it's multi. It's like, Wait, you are too yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's something that I've I've always kind of pushed for is like, hey, you guys should really push to this because like, especially in like the trail running community, a lot of those people are really loyal, really like one person picks up on it and it kind of slowly spreads. And with BHA, obviously, it's an emphasis of hunting and angling, but the public land part is something that all these people are using. Well, and and this is kind of a maybe a different approach maybe that i see with bha that maybe and i think we probably are all in, in similar uh you know age bracket and athletic capability i would say as far as you know things we do i probably don't want to be on the side of a mountain with you two and try and run from a bear i'm definitely going to be the last guy <laughs> but um to go be know. better if all three of us didn't run and just stood our ground and hope for the best yeah, right. we'll just huddle together and look like one that's right one big dude <laughs> yeah the uh but the uh, you were just talking about the trail running crowd and i i think that's definitely i mean a a perception i think that bha gets especially out west is that it's this like machismo group of you know only the the baddest ass guys who are hiking in 30 miles to right. go and kill their elk that's definitely a stereotype that we want to try and buck especially here in the midwest because we don't have that yeah. we right. don't have yeah. 30 miles that you can take off and not hit road yeah. it doesn't exactly. exist here yep and so we we want other Minnesota members or not not yet members to realize like, you know, backcountry might be your school forest that's just up the road. Yeah. It might be uh, you know, the the little pond, you know, back out behind grandma's place. I mean, that's it's whatever you see it as. Yeah. And I mean, for I feel like for myself, I I played sports. You know, I was a three season athlete most of high school and um that was my my connection to my friends. Those were my friends since I was five years old, and right. that was my challenge, and that was my physical outlet. Yep. And then I went into college, and I drank beer, and I chased girls, and I did a little bit of club sports and kind of fell away from that. But I had some club sports as an outlet. Yeah. I had something. And then you graduate college, and you lose that, that athleticism outlet um, especially as guys, that testosterone like outlet to have, yep. and you need a thing or you're gonna fricking explode. Yeah, yep. and exactly. I think you know now it's not me versus another team or me versus another player. It's me versus a mountain or it's um, me yeah. versus <laughs> the freaking wind yeah. and this stupid tree that won't be quiet. Like, yeah. there's negative nine degrees. A, outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Matching it's, man against wild. There's <laughs> a, a challenge aspect of like, I mean, just as males, I think we have that, like I can beat this. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to beat this, not for anybody else, but for yourself, yeah. whether that's because you're going to the gym or beating the hell out of a golf ball at the driving range yep. or going and sitting in a tree. There's some aspect of us that wants to win. Yeah. And, and wants to be and wants to be competitive against something. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's cool. So I think for me, that's a driver for for being part of BHA, but I realize that's not everybody's sure. shtick. That's sure. not everybody's drive to it. But I think that's something that draws people who, you know, especially in our our age range, you know, our 
potential income level. You know, we we're outside of college. We've got a little bit of money. Uh, we've got more time now to commit to it, but we need a thing. Yeah. We need a thing. And so you go to a pint night and you meet some people who maybe have interests in that thing too. And now you realize that they're also looking for not only that camaraderie, but also that, that physical outlet. And that's how those bonds are built. Yeah. 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 At those stand up tables. And that's why we have those pint nights. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, for anybody who's listening who maybe doesn't know much about backcountry hunters and anglers, we've talked about it a lot in this episode, and we have in past episodes as well. But if you're looking for more information, probably one of the best things we can do is we'll just toss a link in the show notes or the description, and you should go check it out. Click on that link. It's going to bring you to the website for, for backcountry hunters and anglers. And the overarching theme has always been keeping public lands in public hands, that we've got so much tons and tons and tons of public land in this country and that we should be grateful for and that we need to take care of and we need to kind of step up and advocate for when you know when the time comes and uh, so if you're unfamiliar with that organization please take time to hit that link and again we'll put it in the in the description or the show notes so that you can kind of see what's going on there we'll also uh, tag Aaron uh, his Instagram and so you can find him and kind of follow along with him as well. He's got some cool stuff going on and being in the Minnesota chapter, but also doing a lot, uh, you know, focus on trying to get out West and do things like that. It's kind of fun to find people like we've talked about tonight that have interests alike. And, uh, and Aaron's definitely one of those with us, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there because I know we talked, we were talking about it a lot tonight. And the best thing, if you're here in Minnesota, if you're a listener here in Minnesota, definitely get a hold of um, of Aaron or you know through BHA through the website. I think they can find the Minnesota chapter through the the website. Yep, correct? it's just Minnesota at backcountryhunters.org. That's it. Okay. That email is going to come right to me. Okay, cool. So then then you can get some more information on kind of what's going on. And and get involved because we'd love to have you. And like you said, I, this is something I was wondering. If you don't know, that's okay. It'd be kind of it's funny. It goes against that. It's kind of that competition thing. But do you know where Minnesota sits compared to other state chapters in in membership? Do you have any idea? It's less than obviously some of the western states, just based on exposure. Yeah, you know, being around since two thousand three or four. Um, it started out west in Oregon with, yep. with people standing, guys standing around a fire, basically a conversation like this. And they said, you know, there's groups to advocate for turkeys or elk or deer or mule deer or whatever. Um, what about the land that we're hunting? You know, let's let's have a, a group that can do that. Um, so because it started out there, I think there's the chapters out there are a lot bigger um, and a lot more of those federal scale public land issues are more prevalent because there's more federal land yeah exactly that Um, makes sense but i know compared to to the other western states or excuse me to the either eastern states um we're growing faster our our region as the great lakes region is growing faster than anywhere else in the country wow um and you know that we've got chapters in 38 states and three provinces cool um, and so we just uh, we just broke a goal of making thirty thousand members nationwide. Um, wow! So with the goal of making fifty thousand this year. Okay. So the cool. the goal is to make fifty uh, this time. Well, our our annual uh, national conference is in uh, April or was in April last year, and at that point we had twenty thousand. Okay. So just to give everybody an idea of kind of how fast it's growing and, yeah. and where it's growing. It's a lot of the uh, a lot of the rural areas that there's a lot of these kind of public lands that I don't think a lot of people realize are their public lands. There's 640 million acres of public land in the U.S., and that's kind of our our tagline. If you're familiar with BHA, is you're a public landowner. Yep. If you pay taxes, you have just as much right to go out and use that land, whether that's your state forest or national grassland or BLM land in Utah as as you know somebody in Pennsylvania or Florida or Arizona does. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean That's it's cool. totally it's like talk about a great American ideal, right? It's right. this great equalizer of whether you're a doctor or a farmer or a 
policemen, you know, everybody is on the same page. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, I, I think we're, we're definitely going to have to sit down again. Some really cool topics came up during this podcast and and some like i said spicy ones we'll just leave it there it's probably going to be spicy topics with aaron uh but no it was a it was a great talk and we'll have to sit down and and have you on again aaron because it was a good time and we appreciate you coming i know how far is the drive for you oh for me to get home it's gonna be about two hours yeah shoot okay well i got the weekend to to recover so no big deal appreciate you having me thanks a lot yeah man thanks for coming on and and uh sharing with us it was it was a good time and uh everybody who's listening thank you for again for taking the time to listen hope you enjoyed this episode and well there'll be more episodes coming at you so just be on the lookout Right now, our goal is to try to run two of them a month. Joe and I kind of sat down and thought, let's try to throw together two a month. So you can hopefully be on the lookout for them on Wednesdays, but two a month, every other Wednesday, kind of working it that way. Uh, make sure that you, if you if you have the time to give us a, a, a rate or review and subscribe to the podcast, check us out, Contact Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, and contactoutdoorsmedia.com. For anything else that's going on, again, to reiterate, we want to get you involved. So if you have a story to share, sorry, reach out to us, and we'd love to hear it and share it with our followers as well. So thanks again, Aaron, Joe. We're going to sign off. It's getting a little bit late, and uh, yeah, Aaron's got a long way home. So it's thanks. It's spicier if we stick around any longer. It will, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We better, cut, we better cut it off. All right, take care, guys. Original music for this podcast was created by Nakota Rankin. This podcast is edited, mixed, and mastered by Nakota Rankin.